Greetings, Darklings, and welcome back to Once Upon a Terror. I'm your host, Adelina Hill. I'm sorry for my absence. I had school, and now I'm back for the summer. Let's get into it, shall we? I don't know how many stories I have for you on this episode. I'm kind of just going it, playing it by ear as I go, finding them as I record this. So, I'm trying to make this an hour-long episode, or a longer episode. I know I've said that in the past and I've failed to do that, but this time, I mean it. I promise you, I mean it. So you're going to be getting some stories, once upon a time. start the episode off with two reddit stories the first one that i have for you tonight is called forgive me father for i will sin by pudnator by reddit user pudnator excuse me if i butchered that reddit usernames are always weird and i always butcher their names so here is our first story for the evening my recommendation Go to church. I don't know if you're religious. I can't tell you what to do. But after this story, you might want to consider having a talk with God. So, let's go. Forgive me, Father, for I will sin. The voice on the other side of the partition was deep and gravely and spoke with a slow cadence that made him sound elderly. You will sin? I asked, confused. Have you not already sinned? Usually, the confessional is the place to come to confess to something that you have already done, not a sin you are yet to commit. The man let out a small, croaky chuckle before continuing to speak. No, no, no. Believe me, I have already sinned. I'm just confessing that I will do it once again. Which sin do you wish to confess? No point in confessing to any of the big seven. You know, the deadly ones. I've committed all of those before. No, no. What I wish to confess is to a bit bigger than that, he said, followed by a throaty chuckle. Please, any sin, no matter how terrible, it is worth confessing to. Even if I'm going to break a commandment? Yes, even then. There was a silence in the confessional booth, the eerie kind of silence that precedes the reveal of a terrible secret or horrible admission. I could sense the hesitation, or possibly even excitement, from the old man, as I'm sure he could sense my trepidation for what he was about to say next. Murder. I wish to confess that I am going to commit the act of murder. I sat stunned for a moment, not only because he was confessing to one of the most terrible sins, but because this situation was awfully familiar. There was silence in the booth once again before I apprehensively replied, Thou shalt not kill. That is what God has commanded. 
you have not yet taken a life, and there is no reason good enough to justify it. I have my reason. Besides, if I confess to it, then isn't it all forgiven? It can be forgiven, if you repent for your sins. But as you have not yet acted out your transgression, repentance is not possible. Unless, of course, you don't go through with it. There isn't a good chance that I will feel regret for this sin. I haven't felt any regret for my previous ones, either. I swallowed nervously before asking him my next question. Previous sins? Does the name Janice Cooper ring any bells? As he spoke the name, I felt a sharp chill jolt down my spine like I had been struck by the Almighty himself. I let out a small gasp that must have said more than I meant it to. I thought you would remember her. I remember her, too, the old man said from the other side of the booth. Yes, I remember her quite well, better than you would, I'm sure. You never actually met her, did you? No. The single word was all I could muster in reply. You knew of her before, though, before her untimely demise, shall we say. Yes. My mind flashed back to the memory of a day not too dissimilar to this one, listening to a voice, also not too dissimilar to the one I was hearing now. I was sitting in the same confessional booth, only my hair was not as gray, and the wrinkles on my face hadn't begun to dig deep into my face yet. It was still early in my lifelong commitment to the church, and I had not long since been ordained. I had already heard a number of confessions, but they were usually just admissions to sins of greed, envy, or lust. But on that day, I had someone come into the booth, take a seat, and confess that they were going to kill, just like the man I was currently listening to. Forgive me, Father, I'm going to sin, the sin of murder, to be exact. The desire has always been strong, but never have I ever wanted to act upon it, the man said with a gravely but quite young voice. That was until I saw her. Then the hunger to kill intensified, the man continued. Something about her that just made me want to do it. My thirst for her blood is just too strong. So that's my confession. I am going to kill Janice Cooper. The memory came to an abrupt end as I focused back on what was occurring currently and realized that the old man had asked me a question. Well, what did it feel like? I'm sorry. What did what feel like? I asked, unsure of what he had originally asked me. A combination of recalling past events and fear had stopped me from hearing it. What did it feel like when you saw it in the paper? Those words. Woman. Twenty-six. Brutally slain by unknown killer. How did you feel when you read the name Janice Cooper? Did you feel guilty at all? You were told that she was going to die, yet did nothing. It is against my oath to report any crime that is confessed to me, I answered curtly. While true that I was forbidden to report any illegal activity that comes to light during a confessional, this was one case that I had morally struggled with for years. I knew the name of the victim, and I knew that someone was going to kill her. I could have prevented the crime, but I knew that I couldn't. It is the thing that has haunted me throughout my entire life. Especially when I was the one to officiate her funeral, and I couldn't say anything to the poor woman's family. How did it feel hugging her mother and telling her that she is with God now? Or shaking her brother's hand and telling him, sorry for your loss. 
or comforting her cousins and grandparents. Did you ever have the urge to tell them that you could have prevented it? The man asked me, rather seriously. How do you know that I was there at the funeral? I asked him back, ignoring the other questions he asked me. I was there, of course. I wouldn't have missed that big day, he responded. I heard every word you said. I felt a shiver run down my spine. This man had been there. Her killer had attended her funeral. I felt sick to my stomach just thinking about it. I took a deep breath and turned the questioning around onto him. How did it feel taking a life? You, you've already said that I didn't, you didn't feel guilt, which must be true if once again you're here confessing. There was silence for a moment before he let out a slight chuckle and answered in an almost gleeful tone. Oh, no, no, no. I didn't feel guilty about killing in the slightest. In fact, I took a certain amount of joy from it and think next time will be just as fun. Then how come you are here, confessing and wanting forgiveness for the most horrible of sins if you have enjoyed it? I never said I wanted forgiveness. I don't particularly want to be forgiven. Once again, I'm just doing what must be done. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. What must be done? How had somehow... He had somehow convinced himself that killing that young woman, Janice Cooper, was what must be done. Killing Janice was not what had to be done. You took an innocent life that day, feel no remorse, and want to do it again. I'm sorry, but you will not find any sort of exoneration here. I heard the old man shuffle in his seat slightly before replying. His tone had grown ever colder and more serious when he spoke. I didn't kill Janice. Why would I murder my own sister? I heard what he said, but it took me a second to comprehend it properly. I was convinced that I was talking to her killer. Instead, I was speaking to her brother. I think you have misunderstood what's happening here, he continued. I feel no remorse for slaughtering the bastard that took my sister away from me, from my family. I didn't feel any guilt when I slit her his throat, and I won't regret doing the same to the son of a bitch that knew she was going to die, yet did nothing. The blood flowed through my veins, turned to ice, as I now completely understood what was happening. I was going to feel a wrath rain down upon me, but it wasn't going to be from the Lord above. The wrath of the man sitting only inches away from me was now a much more terrifying reality. He spoke again, anger and venom strongly present in his voice now. I'm not going to kill you here, not within the walls of the church, but know that my vengeance is coming. I will bring upon your death. Unless you decide to break your oath and report this to the authorities, you can be selfish and do this for yourself. Do what you should have done for Janice. The next thing I heard was the sound of feet marching out of the confessional booth. They were moving quickly, and by the time I could peek out into the church, the man was gone. Now I am waiting for him to return. Fear is the new constant in my life, as I wait for him to take a razor to my throat. Prayer only brings me a certain amount of comfort, but I know that my end is inevitable. I haven't gone to the police, however. I can't hold myself to a different standard to others. I didn't go to them for Janice. And I won't go to them for myself. Our next story is called I Always Had to Walk Down the Stairs Slowly by Reddit user Nom 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 Nation.
21 steps. That's how many steps there were from the bottom to the top. No more, no less. I know the number exactly because Mother always made sure I tiptoed down the stairs gently. She told me that the monster in the cupboard below might hear me if I was too loud. I live with my mother and her sister, Aunt Cheryl. Our family isn't big, it was just us. They always told me that a family of three is a perfect size, and it rang true in our actions. We did everything together. We had a movie night every week. We were a true and happy family. At least, that was before my mother got sick. When I was six, I remember Mother and Auntie Cheryl having a huge argument. I don't know what it was about, but I remember sitting at the top of the stairs, hearing them screaming at each other. This was before the quiet footsteps rule. Yet even so, I still tread down the stairs lightly. I didn't want them to hear me, but I wanted to hear them. I heard something about Dad. He died when I was a baby. I heard something about Aunt Cheryl sleeping. I couldn't understand what was going on. The shouting was so loud that it became white noise. Deciphering exact words was impossible. It was the same day that Mother got sick. I always thought that the fighting with her sister is what caused it. Everyone deserves the love from their family. Ever since that fight, she was practically bedridden. She would get up to go to the toilet, but besides that, she relied on me for everything. I had to stay upstairs that whole weekend. Auntie Cheryl never came up once to check on us. I hated her for it at first, but Mother reminded me that this was not my fight. I still had a loving auntie, and I shouldn't let their fight affect how I see her. I didn't go downstairs at all until Sunday afternoon when Auntie Cheryl arrived home in a wheelchair. She had gotten into an accident and broken both of her legs. She told me the fight had been playing on her, and she left and left her distracted, and it was the final time she would let something get to her head. She seemed surprisingly okay for someone who had just lost the ability to walk. But Auntie Cheryl was always a jolly person. That same day, two rules were introduced to the household. First, I could no longer have friends over. Having a sick mother meant that she needed rest, not two kids running around the house. Second, I had to walk slowly down the stairs. Mother told me there were monsters underneath. This thought made me sick to my stomach. She really drove it into me. Auntie Cheryl agreed, too. The monsters would get me if I was too loud on the stairs. Three years of this went by, always being quiet on the stairs, never having friends around the house. Auntie Cheryl and Mother never spoke to each other, not even once. One was stuck downstairs in their wheelchair, the other was stuck upstairs in their bed. I never knew for sure whether their lack of mobility drove them apart or whether they refused to talk about the fight. I found it best not to think about it. It became the new normal for me. I had always someone to talk to whichever room I was in. It just changed depending on what floor I was on. Every day, it would take me a whole minute to get up or down the stairs. I had to make sure that no so much as a creak came from those floorboards, for fear of the monster hearing me. I'd always count the steps one at a time. Twenty-one steps. The number, of course, never changed but it distracted me from the horrors below the stairs. I always tried to get Mother and Auntie Cheryl to talk, especially on Christmas. The most I ever got was from one of them to shout hello to the other. 
There was no response. It made me sad, but I was still grateful to have such a loving household. I loved them both, and they loved me back. They cared for me, and I cared for them where I could. I remember one night, slowly going down the stairs in the middle of the night to get a glass of water. Mother was sleeping. As soon as I opened the kitchen door, I heard a loud bang coming from the living room. I thought it was the monster at first, before realizing it must be Auntie Cheryl still awake. I walked into the living room, through the darkness, and I saw a shadowy figure standing in the middle of the room. I froze in fear. It was much taller than I was. I knew that it must be the monster. It seemed to look at me quickly as I reached for the light switch. It was not there once the darkness had left. I had scared it off. On the floor, however, in its place, was Auntie Cheryl. She had fallen. I cried to her, terrified that the monster had tried to get her. "'If I wasn't here, he would have taken you,' I cried. "'I saw him, right there, where you were lying.' She calmed me down. She was always good at that. She assured me that she had fallen herself and that nobody else was in the room. I helped her back into the chair. It was too late, though. I was determined that the monster had stopped playing by the rules. It was going to take one of us. I just knew it. I had to do something. Secretly, over the next few days, I collected weapons. Or at least a kid's ideas of weapons. A baseball bat, a torch, a biker's helmet. Everything I thought I would need to kill this monster. At 2 a.m., when I knew Mother and Auntie Cheryl would both be sleeping, I snuck downstairs. Slowly. 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 One step at a time. All the way to 21. Once downstairs, I looked at the cupboard under the stairs. It was taller than me. It hadn't been opened in years. I knew that behind this door was the monster. I turned the torch on. And before I could give it a second thought, I swung the door open. It was empty. The light filled every corner of the cupboard, yet it was only occupied with dust. I ran into the living room to check on Auntie Cheryl. It was empty. Her chair, in the middle of the room, with nobody sitting there. I had never seen the chair empty before. I ran upstairs in tears to tell Mother. The monster had gotten Auntie Cheryl, Mother. I was too late. She woke up confused, almost immediately turning to anger. You went downstairs without me knowing? What do you mean? I never tell you when I'm going downstairs. No, but... She calmed down and changed her tone. Auntie Cheryl is staying at a friend's house tonight. She'll be back in the morning. She was very adamant about this. She brought me back to my bedroom and told me I was getting too worked up. She kissed me on the forehead and said goodnight. I knew she was lying, but I didn't know why. I was terrified. I thought the monster had somehow possessed my mother. I secretly called the police once I was sure mother was asleep. I told them that my Auntie Cheryl was missing and that I could think a monster had gotten her. They were confused, of course, but they knocked on the door half an hour later for questioning. Mother was absolutely furious at me. She told me not to enter the door, that the monster would get me. I followed my gut instinct and disobeyed. The police questioned my mother and I. They seemed concerned when I told them about the monster. I thought perhaps they had dealt with it before. Instead, they took me away from mother. They told me it would just be a fear a few nights while they investigate. Mother is sick. She can't be left alone, especially not when the monster is here. It already got Auntie Cheryl. But they did it anyway. 
They insisted that mother would be taken care of if she needed care. I felt terrible. Mother was all alone, and it was my fault. I shouldn't have gotten the police involved. I had caused all of this. I never saw Auntie Cheryl again, but the police did find her body. It was in a lake nearby to our house. They said that based on her corpse, she had been dead for quite a few years, so it wasn't possible that I had ever spoken to her since I was six years old. They also asked if I knew anything about the trapdoor leading from the living room to my mother's bedroom. I told them I did not. I only see mother when I visit her in prison now. I live alone at my own place. At night, I still walk down the stairs quietly. To be sure, the monster never gets me. That's all I have for this episode, Darklings. But I'm going to be releasing another episode very shortly, within a couple hours of this one. I'm just going to take some more time to record it. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you haven't already, please follow my Instagram page, Once Upon a Terror. If you have a story that you would like to submit, email it to onceuponaterror at outlook.com. And I will see you all very, very soon. Good night.